children's church workers will take you to the appropriate places and everyone else please remain standing for the reading of God's word good morning Christ Central I am so glad God's goodness runs after us I felt that so so much my name is Michelle Hurlbert, and I'm a member of the Fort Mill Still Creek Community Group. We're few but mighty. <laughs> this morning's scripture comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30 from the New Living Translation. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, no but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. We're glad you could be here with us. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. Today, we are concluding our summer sermon series uh, 
called Summer of Parables, and we look at the last parable recorded in the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew 25. The question that we often have is, what would you do if you were to win the Mega Million power, Powerball jackpot? What would you do? We hear on the news that the lottery is up to $200 million now. Right? And as we check out the grocery store, as we go to the, the gas station to pump our gas, uh, the thought of winning the lottery crosses our mind, doesn't it? Wondering, what would my life will be if I win the lottery? The biggest jackpot to date in history is 2.04 billion Powerball sold in California back in November 2022. I know, the sermon's not about buy your lottery ticket today. That's not the sermon today. But what would you do if you were to ever win the lottery? For one thing that you and I both know is that your life will never be the same again. And that's for sure. Well, according to the news outlet, this is what you should do if you were to win the lottery. First thing they say is keep your mouth shut. Right? Don't tell anybody that you won. Second, they say hire a lawyer. That's smart, right? Third, say hire an accountant. Fourth, hire a financial advisor. Seems like you're hiring a lot of people already. Fifth, and I thought this was hilarious, but it's true, change your phone number, right? Or even your name at that. And finally, they say prepare for a change in reality. They say money changes people, and a lot of money can affect a lot of your life. A jackpot lottery, which you have the odds of winning, is one in 292.2 million, will definitely change your life. But the question is, what if you already won the lottery of your lifetime? What if you won the lottery of your lifetime? Well, today's parable tells us such reality for us. And no, this is, again, not a sermon about how to make it big or how, if you believe in the gospel, you'll become rich. That's not the story of today's gospel. We're in the Jesus' parable, most commonly known as the parable of talent. And the parable of talent is a bit misleading in that, because when we think of talent, we often think of natural giftings or skill sets. For example, you're like, oh, you're a very talented singer. You're a talented soccer player. You have a real talent for seeing a big picture of things. It thinks, thinks about more of a skill set or the gift that you have. But the talent in this case of the parable refers more to a unit of currency. So it's more appropriate for us to understand the talent as like dollar, euro, yen, or even a pound. So following the, the New Living Translation's translation today, it is probably more appropriate to see this as parable of bags of money, bags of silver. That's what this parable is about. But that also doesn't capture the main point of this parable because this isn't just about money after all. Because the master in this case is clearly Jesus who is giving this parable and the servant, as we commonly know, are actually more aptly translated as the slaves and that is signifying his followers. So if this is just merely about the money or even the talents and gifts, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that because oftentimes I think about when I hear this talent, I would say, how come this dude gets five and this gets three? And of course, the guy gets one, he's bitter, right? That's why he does these things. And I think about the same thing. I'm like, I don't have that much talent. How come Jesus is unfair doing these things? 
Um, and you identify actually more with the guy with the one talent, right? Especially if you feel like, well, I don't have much money today, or I'm not really gifted, then you do feel like, well, this is not fair, God. Why would some people have five and three and one? Again, parable is parable. It's an illustration to get to the heart. So when looking at this, it's not merely about money, although money and the system is used here, but this parable, I believe, is about the joy rooted in relationship. Again, this parable is about the joy rooted in relationship. And the relationship is what, is, uh, what matters in the eternity as this parable talks about. After all, the master in this parable tells his servant or slave, again, slave is more appropriately translated, come join and celebrate together, talking about relational sense here, while the wicked servant at the end of this parable, wicked slave is thrown out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the heart of this parable is joy, joy of being in relationship with God and to be good stewards of God's gift as we wait for Jesus' return. With that focus in my mind, with our mind, let's turn to this parable together, looking at the joy as a theme. Two points today, the joy of the slave and the joy of the master. First thing we see is the joy of the slave. And remember the first time that I had my license in my hands. Finally, after 16 long years, I had the driver's license. I know teenagers, some of you here, you're thinking it's coming soon. It's coming soon. I remember my dad giving me the keys to my hand and saying, okay, you have the license, now you can drive. And I was thinking, freedom, the joy. I could go anywhere. I could be anywhere. I could meet you anywhere. But there's also big responsibility now that comes with this personal property, knowing that not only I can cause pain on myself, but the others. The joy of being a steward of a car came also with the responsibility. But there was definitely joy on being able to drive a car after waiting for a long time. When we think about the joy of the slave, we think about the stewardship that is at hand here. The joy of the slave is evident in chapter 25, verse 14. It says, the, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing in the proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. The story outlines the master, either the landowner, the businessman, the one with the family fortunes, gives a large amount of money to each slave. One translation, again, servant is more aptly translated slave to depict a relationship of the master and the slave here. The money that is entrusted to them is not a laughing matter. As mentioned, talent is a unit of measurement. One talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. To give us perspective, one denarii is one day's worth of wage. One talent, therefore, meant it's 20 days or 20 years worth of labor. So let's generously say one talent was equivalent of $1 million. So when master gives five talent, three talent, one talent, it is not a small amount even for one talent receiving slave. Therefore, the master, now not only so, entrusts this talent freely to his slaves. Again, that was happening at the time, the job of the slaves, church. 
The job of the slave was not only to receive this money, but to work hard to provide a solid return while the master is away. Did you catch that? That's the key point here. It was expected. It was not a suggestion. It wasn't saying, it was, master wasn't saying like, here, here's five million. Try to do your best. That wasn't it. It was expected that the slaves give a return on investment when the master comes back. This was the very job and the task the slaves were expected to do. Now, before we go on, you may wonder, wait, wait, pastor, so you're saying that Jesus is endorsing slavery here? Is he talking about, in relationship about him and his followers as a master and the slave, is he saying slavery is right? And you and I both know that's not true, right? He's just using the example of slavery here, the common economic practice of the time, to bring the people in. It's not that he's endorsing it. Uh, Furthermore, this type of slavery is different than that of the transatlantic slavery that you and I are familiar with. Furthermore, Jesus uses different elements of life to explain to us the kingdom. For example, in Matthew 24, 43, he says, Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Verse 44, You must also be ready at all times. The Son of Man will come when least expected. He's talking about thieves here and coming unexpectedly. Jesus is not saying, I'm a thief, right? He's also not saying like, okay, thief, um, burglary is a good thing. He's just merely using that illustration to tell us that he will come when it's least unexpected. Therefore, when he's using this economic system of slavery, he's not endorsing it, he's using it to draw us in. Furthermore, in a little bit, you'll see that he not absolutely endorses this. He will actually flip this relationship upside down as a result. Back to the parable. The joy of the slave, as we could see, is this. Not only is he entrusted with the care of this large sum of money, he's trusted to be a good store of that. The joy of being in charge of the master who entrusts this to him is the joy. And that's not at all. Notice the reward that he received when master comes back. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with the five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small sum of money. Now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The slave that was entrusted with the five bags of silver had five bags returned for investment. And perhaps you'll be thinking, he did a great job, right? I'm like, 10 now. That's great. But did you catch that little, little detail he said? You've been faithful with a small amount, right? Small amount. And notice what he says to the second slave that comes. Verse 20, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Here is the point of the joy of the slave. The second slave who also was able to reproduce what was entrusted to him receives exact same praise from the master. 
You see, the praise and approval is not dependent upon how much you have received or how much more you were able to produce for the master. Notice he doesn't say, wow, great, 100% return on investment. Good job. He doesn't say, wow, great, 10 bags of silver. He doesn't say that, does he? Rather, the focus is on you have been good and faithful. You have been faithful in handling little. In both cases, to the master, whether five, ten, two, or one, it was small compared to the fortunes the master had. So master is not focused upon how much. Rather, he's focused on the relational sense of the slave being faithful with what's entrusted to them. Church, that's the joy of the slave. The slave wasn't measured by the amount that was entrusted or how much he produced, what would be common to receive based upon your production, something that you and I are familiar with, don't we? In our jobs, we are measured based on the performance output. We get measured upon the grades based upon how well we do on our tests. But look at this. The joy of the slave in this case is based upon their relationship. Being valued, being seen, the motivation is to produce more for the master, rather the motivation is based upon the relationship. Understanding the slaves in this case as us and God as the master who entrusts the gifts to us, what God demands of us is not needing to reproduce do lots of work, needing to work, needing to respond that often leads to work-based religion. True gospel joy we find in this is that God, the master, wants the relationship and those who are entrusted, those who know the master, the joy stems from being in this relationship, approval of knowing him and being faithful that leads to fruitfulness not of how much, how profitable the one is, but one's relationship in knowing our God values his own. Now, church, that means when God looks at us and he does demand of our faithfulness and fruitfulness, there is God's demand of us. Salvation, as we found in the scripture, is a free gift God does not require any prerequisite righteousness for you to come to the Lord and be saved by God's grace. In fact, you and I can come today fully as who we are, but once we are saved by God's grace, now the gift is entrusted to us, and with this, he calls us to live in joy and wonder of God's gift in your life, and that is measured based on your faithfulness that leads to your fruitfulness, whether that is through your job, your family, your money, your abilities, God will call us to account, not because he needs it, but because it is byproduct, natural outflow, evidence of your relationship with the master. And that's the joy. It's not something you have to produce within yourself. God draws it out of you as he enters into relationship with us. That's the joy of living for the benevolent master. In church, that's not all, isn't it? Not only do we see the joy of the slaves in this parable, we also see the joy of the master. 
the joy of the master. Uh, a couple months ago, we celebrated my father-in-law's birthday. And in our household, when we do birthdays, we do a cake. We do a dinner that person wants, and we celebrate by singing a song. And on this one occasion, it really warmed all of our hearts because we sang a song, and we were uh, giving gifts and whatnot. And then my son, Seth, looked at me and said, you didn't tell me about this. Like, what do you mean? We didn't say that it was my grandfather's birthday. So we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, here's a cake, here's a dinner. So he runs upstairs. And we're wondering, like, where is he going? He comes straight down, and in his hand is $5 bill. And he gives to his grandfather and says, here, yours. Okay, he doesn't know the manners yet, right? But he says, here, yours. And we're like, what's going on here? He's like, it's his gift. This is my gift to grandfather. And the joy of grandfather was un... I can't even describe it to you. $5 meant nothing in the larger scheme of things. But the joy of his gesture towards grandfather made his day to a point where he said, whatever you want to eat tomorrow, I'll buy whatever you want to eat. That was his response. Church, at the heart of this parable is the joy of the master. It's not merely about a person producing, a slave producing something for the master, but notice the joy of the master littered throughout. It's found in two places here. First, as we have seen it, is found upon the master who is willing and wanting to entrust this large sum of money to his slaves. We do not find the begrudging, untrusting master who is like, ah, this guy, I'm not really sure. Maybe. Oh, let me take a chance on this guy. Let me give a $5 million here. Oh, yeah, this guy, ah, you know, he's not as good as this guy. Maybe three here or two. Oh, yeah, this guy. I got to give him something, right? Because he's sitting there. Everyone's getting something. That's not what we find. The master readily bestowing to these three slaves, knowing who they are. Do you catch that? He knows the slaves. So he entrusts according to their abilities, it says. Not based on the favoritism, not based upon anything, but knowing who they are. And how do we know that? Because he expects the same response and stewardship from all three. He doesn't tell each one slave saying, I want you to produce five, two, and one. The standard that's used is the same throughout, knowing who they are. And notice the second thing he says, the joy of the master. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 23, the master said, Well well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. In other translation, it is more aptly translated as, Enter into the joy of your master. In a typical master-slave relationship, the slave, as we talked about, is expected to reproduce, to produce gains, and even expected of the benefit of gain as a reward. But here, it goes beyond that. It is unexpected of the master who does not owe anything to the slave, anything. Rather, this master here, who does not owe him any favor, rather already entrusted him with this stewardship, not only saying, come, I'll give you more job, 
he also invites them to partake in the joy and the celebration of the master. Do you catch that? And coming back to the master and the slave motif here, here Jesus flips the slavery now on his head. And not only does he reward the slave, but he invites them to be part of his life, part of the celebration. We find this more striking in the response he gives to the wicked servant in verse 24. When the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Embedded on the wicked slave's response is accusation and fear. When he says, you are a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant or gathering crops you did not cultivate, it indicates the slave expected the master to simply exploit the slave for its work. Hence, the fear sets in, paralyzing him. This is where the master-the-slave relationship comes to light. According to theologian D.A. Carson, if you only see this relationship that's shown in this parable as a servant or even a higher hand from our understanding, that we may even sympathize with this bag of money given servant, thinking if he didn't get as much or thinking he's mistreated, but if you understand the relations to be the master and the slave, then you realize how unimaginable this slave's response is. This is a rejection of the benevolence of the master and his trust in him that's unheard of. So knowing this, we realize the harsh reality in comparison to the other faithful and fruitful slave, there's an eternal separation that happens. The separation, once again, highlighted by being thrown out into weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there is no relationship of a fellowship symbolizing hell for the wicked slave. Then he ordered in verse 28, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do not who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, this is God's grace. God's grace reminds us that we who were slaves to sin was bought by God's precious son's blood who died on the cross for our sins, and those who believe in him will receive this grace of relationship with God. So you and I can be slaves to God's divine purpose and design rather than sin's destruction. That's the gospel message that you and I must never forget. But you know what? That's not all. This master who had every right to demand and use us as slaves rather calls us as friends. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Furthermore, he says, not only you are my friends, you are adopted as fellow heirs. Ephesians chapter 1, 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great 
pleasure, great joy in his life, and to entrust us with the gift of God, each and every single one of us in different way, God had beautifully designed so you and I can be faithful stewards of them until he returns. So together we can build up the body of Christ. That is the church of Christ who continues to testify to what the master has done in their lives until he returns. That's the grace that we see here, the joy of being in relationship with him, the joy that God demands out of us of our faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness. That's the gospel message. And in the punishment of the wicked servant with the stern warning. And the question is, are you living in light of this master's joy? Are you partaking in the master who came, who will come back? Is the joy that you seek in your life centered on knowing this master who will say, well done, my faithful servant. Well done, my faithful friend. Well done, my faithful child. You know what we see is those who are overwhelmed and in love with this Savior cannot help but to be faithful and fruitful because of the Spirit of God that resigns in their heart, that brings out this faithfulness because of love for your Savior. So church, Christ Central, collectively, together, individually, this reminds us you and I are all gifted and entrusted with the beautiful gift from the Lord. And I get the privilege, as our elder Mike shared, of hearing about it, experiencing it, seeing it when I see you serve our children, our youth, our church, our families, our communities, our city, our missionaries, and beyond. But I also see you, Christ Central, together in this very difficult season of transition, of seeking a new senior pastor, banding together, holding on to one another, persevering, faithful, fruitful, loving one another. Church, that's who you are. And that's who we are called to be. Let's finish this well. Shall we? Amen? Amen. You know, every time we pass by the large sign, my wife and I play the lottery to win. Lynn and I sometimes talk about what would it be like if we win the lottery. Not that we go and buy it, but we think about it. We dream about it. I'm sure you guys do too. How our lives will change, how we will give, how we will spend. In the middle of it all, I remember hearing this from, I think, one of you all were watching this on Instagram. And I turned to my wife and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to win the lottery. And she said, why? And I told her, well, I already won one by marrying you. You know, I know, I know. But if you know my wife, she's like, ill. you know. <laughs> where did you read that? Or where did you watch that, right? Tell me the source, you know. Um, but it's true. I already won one, as they say. It's hard to win again. If the odds are one in 242 million, now we're doubling that. Well, church, if you're in Christ, the scripture reminds us you already won the lottery of your lifetime. You met the risen Savior. Yeah, you could clap to that because you are the winner. You met the risen Savior, the one who created you, who frees you, who loves you, who's coming back for you. The response to that is, will your life reflect winning that lottery? Will you be faithful today 
in your families, in your work, with gifts and talents, resources, and to move with what God calls you to be, to do. So we could all hear, well done, good and faithful child of, man, child of mine. Enter into the joy of the Master. Maranatha, O Lord, come, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church, shall we? Let's pray. Church, let's pray together as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray as in light of the joy that God brings to us. Let's pray with the lottery winning tickets in our hands. Let's thank God for the joy that he brings to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of the cross, the fact that, Lord, you have chosen us to be victorious upon the cross. And through your grace in our lives, we could live in light of the joy that is to come. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. Pray the Lord that we'll be faithful until you return so we could hear, well done, my faithful servant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.